getting ready to preach up here is like watching a bunch of ants go all over the place. I was like, we're all timely moving without running into each other. As we all clear the stage and get ready for God's word, we get the wonderful task of running through three chapters again. And I mean running because basically we cannot hit all the doctrines and theology that's there. There is so much meat in the history of the church. And the goal of what we're trying to accomplish through the summer is to see how God is growing the church from the very beginning because the principles that God laid down in the truth of history in Acts is still true for us today. And so as we look at how God's grand plan from the beginning is still the grand plan for today. And sometimes we get so off topic we're so worried. How is the church going to grow? How are we going to you know, be more relevant? How are we going to do all this? And a lot of times when we talk that way, we unknowingly throw out God's plan and we miss God's desire. And so that's what our focus and our desire is, is to see what was God's plan all along and what can we learn from that? And so let's pray and ask God, Uh, to give us some insight and that we would turn our hearts and focus to him and honor his word this morning. And we'll be running, I'm not going to reread the first part of 13, but we'll read different sections uh, all the way through the end of chapter 15 today. So if, if you have your Bibles, please, please grab your copy of God's word and prepare uh, to just focus on that and read And uh, listen to his word as I share with you this morning. Lord, we want to honor you. We want to lift up your words. We want to make them clear. We want to be a church that upholds your word. That, Lord, it is not our idea, our plans. uh, There's some conceived idea in the hearts of the believers at First Baptist Church that has grown or changed the community. But, Lord, that we will allow you your plan, your gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us to permeate our lives and into the culture. And Lord, may we see a difference because we honor you and we lift up your name. So Lord, I pray that you will help us now because we need you. We are so much fleshly. We live by the flesh so much. And so Lord, I pray that we would give attention, clear attention from our hearts and our minds to your Holy Spirit this morning. Impact us as we proclaim your word as truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we get to chapter 13, this is the beginning of a true missionary journey. This morning we see missions begin and launched in the church. Um, there's some, this is, um, Acts 13 is an amazing picture as we go, I, I, uh, there we go, got it. Uh, Acts 13 is a great picture of how the church is to function, but also is a great example for our lives as individuals. There's some really good points for us to ponder in our hearts as a church, both in our community as a church and individually as a member of the body of Christ. And so there's these major shifts that we see in the church as we start chapter 13. 
from before this, it was all about the Jews. The gospel came to the Jews. The church was started at Pentecost um, at a Jewish festival. And everything was about the Jews. Christ came through the Jews. Everything was about them. And now it is dramatically shifted after chapters 9, 10, and 12. Now we know that the gospel is for everyone, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. So it went from Jews to Gentiles. Now we have a shift from everything being about Jerusalem to now we have a shift to everything being about Antioch. And that's where Paul is at in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas. And then you go from that. It's, it's shifting from Peter to Paul. So Acts and the, and the church we see as Peter, a prominent uh, apostle, along with James and John, all of a sudden it goes shifting over to Paul. And then we see the church scattered. God used all of the things going on in the Roman world and the persecution through the uh, Pharisees, through Saul, to scatter the church to throw it out, but now we have a dramatic shift from being scattered to being sent. And that's really what we want to look at this morning is, is what is God doing? Why is, what is he doing through this sending? How did he do this sending? How does that impact our minds, our thoughts? How does that impact the way we do church? And are we sending? Are we building up people to send, and who are we sending? Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes it's easy to send people that we just don't work well with, right? Why don't you go do that ministry, right? And we send people off. But they sent Paul and Barnabas. They were major players in the church. They weren't just, you know, the, they didn't call the herd and say, oh, yeah, there's a few weak ones. Let's get them over and, and let's send them over and cripple that ministry over there, Right? And it's amazing how many times as a church we do that. We don't think, oh, they're not really useful at building the church, so let's send them and do a different ministry. I know people in the mission field that have done this, that they, this is a common practice today. Well, I'm not very successful here, so I'm going to go off and I'm going to do this ministry. But the real question is, did the Holy Spirit call you to the ministry? And are we preparing people to hear the Holy Spirit call them to the ministry? And that's a great question to ask. What we got in chapter 13 is we see all the leaders meeting together in Antioch, and they're doing, I want you to notice, they're, they are worshiping. Some texts say that they are ministering to the Lord. And that's really interesting translation, because what they are doing is they are worshiping by serving the Lord. They are serving the Lord. They are ministering to the Lord. They are worshiping the Lord. When they are worshiping the Lord, they are ministering to the Lord. They are glorifying the Lord. And they are fasting. And in doing that, they hear the call of ministry. But I want you also to know in verse 4 that they sent out. It's interesting. They were laid, Paul and Barnabas had the other leaders laid hands on them. We've, we've done that when Lyle went off to went off to Thailand, we prayed over him, we laid hands on him, we said, we identify you in this calling to go and do this ministry, and now we're going to hear about it next week. And uh, what's interesting, that's exactly what Paul and Barnabas did. They were sent out, they were laid on hands, but did you notice what the Bible says? They were sent out not by the church leaders, but by 
the Holy Spirit. All through everything that we see here this morning in, in Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 15 is covered by God's sovereign plan. That's the overarching principle here is, is that God is in control, that God has a plan. God chooses what they are going to do. He has called them and he sends them through the power of his Holy Spirit. They go out to preach the word. In fact, they, they, they're sent out and they go to a place that they're familiar with where some of the church leaders are from and they go out and they start to preach the gospel. On this first missionary journey, the first short-term missions trip of the church. And what do they face? They face persecution. In fact, they are so persecuted that one of their fellow guys say, I'm, uh, I'm done. And he leaves. John Mark, he leaves. And he leaves him in verse 13. And John left and he returned to Jerusalem. He said, I've had enough of this. I'm going to go back to where I'm a little more comfortable. Now, I'm not sure why he left other than the fact that uh, there was a lot of persecution. We can read between the lines, but the line's not truth. What we know is that they left him. And then we get to there. They go and they, they go from city to city, and they're trying to strengthen the churches that have begun to pop up because of the preaching of the gospel. And in the midst of trying to uh, share the gospel, preach the gospel, to start churches in these different towns, they are persecuted. They're persecuted. Acts chapter 14, and in, in the end of, uh, at the end of chapter 13, Paul preaches the largest sermon in Acts, uh, largest being it constitutes the most verses. Uh, we don't know exactly how many sermons he preached. We do know that he preached so long one time that people fell out of a window. I promise I won't do that to you today. Acts chapter 14, they go, they keep going, they keep going and preaching, they keep getting persecuted, they keep preaching, they keep getting persecuted, they go back to the church to declare what God is doing through the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're met with more opposition. An opposition that has come from within. Not only opposition that has come within, but opposition has gone to one of the churches that Paul was a part of, and was preaching and leading and shared the gospel with and trying to take the church away from the true gospel. All of that is in, our, in what we are studying this morning. And the first thing I want us to notice in chapter 13 is that true guidance comes through engagement. Did you notice when the Holy Spirit called them, when the Holy Spirit worked within them, and it was while they were worshiping, literally while they were serving the Lord. Romans 12.1, it's Lyle's favorite go-to verse. I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourself a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship or service. Same word. It's, goes, it is defining a service that glorifies God. They were engaged in serving and worshiping the Lord. And in that engagement, they got guidance. When we talk about how does the church grow, how are, how are we going to grow the church? We should be engaged in the church. We want guidance through the Holy Spirit. We want the Bible to give us guidance. Well, what's interesting is, is here they were engaged, and in that engagement, they got guidance. 
God's guidance comes to those who are actively engaged in ministry. The Holy Spirit called them out of their engagement. God's guidance extended the ministry of those who were doing their present ministry well. Think about that. That God extended the ministry of those who were already doing ministry well. I think it's, it's a problem today. We, we see somebody not doing something, something well. They're not doing any ministry well. And we say, well, let's go have them do another ministry. Maybe they should do their ministry well. I've heard of a pastor that he's, he's got his uh, doctorate now in missions. And he teaches down in a seminary down in uh, Vallejo, California. But when he first was going to missions... The, the elders said, no, you can't go. He says, you've not been successful in ministry at all. We have not seen your call to ministry in any shape or form. He was offended. He was hurt. And, and eventually he realized, you know what? They're right. I haven't done anything. So he began to serve in the church. He began to, to just focus on worshiping the Lord and get, push his pride aside and now he leads the whole church. He leads the whole church's missions program, and he teaches young men to be missionaries. God's guidance was not merely individual, but it came through the church. Paul and Barnabas didn't go on their own. They didn't say, well, I want to go, and I want to do this ministry, so I'm going to go do it. It came through the church. And in fact, later on, it says the whole church got together and sent them. God's guidance didn't come individually. It came through the church. Also, God's guidance was not only for the next step. Um, was only. Did you notice that God only gave them the next step, go, but he didn't tell them their entire future? Sometimes when we want to be involved in ministry, we want to see everything that's going to happen before we even do it. It brings me back to the Old Testament. Remember what he said to the Israelites, just go, go across the sea, right? And it, and, or go across the River Jordan. Remember when, they, when the priests actually put their foot in the water, what happened? The water split. They walked on dry ground. You know, it wasn't so much that the water ceased, it was that the, even the mud in the river was dry enough for them to go across. That's amazing. The Jordan River at flood state is over two miles wide. But it was when they actually stepped out in obedience that God did things. You know what is interesting? Can you imagine what Paul and Barnabas would have thought if God says, oh, by the way, I'm calling you to go on the very first missionary journey, and then after the first missionary journey, you're going to be in a disagreement and, and, and split up. Do you think they would have gone on the first missionary journey? It's amazing. God doesn't unfold his entire plan. He calls us to, fill, to fulfill his current purpose in our life. That brings us to the second thing. All of them flow out of this, so I spent a lot of time there. But this is that being engaged in ministry is met with difficulty. Being engaged in ministry is met with difficulty. If you go to verse 8, look, it says the magician there opposed them, right? Why? 
Did he have some, a beef against them? No, he had a beef against the Lord, right? It says that he tried to deter him from drawing somebody to the faith. It's interesting. We, many times, will not get involved in ministry because of difficulty, but ministry is always met with difficulty. Everywhere Paul and Barnabas went and proclaimed God's word, it was met with difficulty. Remember 1 Peter, we shouldn't be shocked when we suffer. James chapter 1, count it joy. Why? Because we're doing, if you're doing ministry, you're going to be faced with trials. That means you're actually doing ministry. If you're not facing any trials, then you ought to ask yourself, what am I doing, if anything? Our basic objective in life is to avoid pain at all costs, to focus on being comfortable. But pain is God's way of indicating a deeper need. God uses it. God uses, you know, uses this difficulty to level us, to, to keep us humble, to put us in the proper mindset to always be in need of the Lord instead of relying on self. People who rely on self and are gifted and use that gift but rely solely on themselves always burn out. But people who are always in need of the Lord find joy and fulfillment in ministry no matter the difficulty. God lets us go through adversity so we can also have compassion on others who are in pain. I love that about losing my thyroid. When I lost it, my, my wife can explain it this way. It was like living with a dead man. So I was alive, but I was dead. Uh, my, my kids can attest to that and to that testimony. And one of the funniest things was, was before my thyroid quit, I was pretty straightforward, not very, I was, I was very compassionate to a point, but I never rarely cried about anything. If you were hurting, I, I would just say, well, this is the answer, and I would help you get to the answer, but it never bothered me. After the thyroid quit, I was in tears all the time. And the funny thing was that since I've fixed my thyroid, since I got the medication and, and got it all ironed out, the one thing that is left is my ability to be, to cry. <laughs> That's the one thing that everything else kind of went back to normal. Uh, not 100% in my, 100%. But God left a compassion that wasn't there before. And it's kind of a blessing and a curse. I love what Corey Ten Boone said. He said, if God sends us on a stony path, he provides stronger shoes. Right? Adversity brings an internal perspective. Life is about knowing God when we deal with difficulty. Life is about his kingdom. We learn that his grace is sufficient for all things. You know, verse, uh, if you go down, it's amazing. If you look at all the verses, verse 5, they focused on God's word. They proclaimed God's word. Verse 7, uh, they were, uh, they, the, this guy uh, sought to hear God's word. Verse 8, what happened? Persecution. Verse 12, uh, they were teaching God's word. They were astonished on God's word. And, and then what does Paul do? He preaches all the way through verse 42 of chapter 13. He's preaching God's word. He's giving them the, 
the gospel and explaining the Old Testament and everything that happened so that way Jesus would come and save them. And what happened? He gives them God's word, verse 44, verse 45, persecution. So what do they do? Verse 46, they go out and boldly proclaim God's word. Verse 48, they go out and they're glorifying. It says they rejoice and glorifying the word of God. And seeing many people get saved, verse 50, what happens? The Jews stir up persecution. So what do they do? Verse 52, the disciples were filled with joy. What? What do you mean they were filled with joy? They were being persecuted. What do they do in verse 2? The unbelieving Jews, what do they do? They stirred up the Gentiles to poison their minds against the brothers. Persecution again. Chapter 3, what did they do? They spoke God's word more boldly. Do you see a pattern here? They speak God's word, they persecuted. So what do they do? They speak God's word more. They go to another place. They speak God's word, they're persecuted. They're persecuted. They speak God's word more. I mean, it's amazing. Paul, they, they finally had enough. They try to kill Paul. They throw him in the trash outside of the city, expecting to be dead. The disciples come up around him. And what has happened? He gets up, and he goes back in the city proclaiming the gospel. All right? He's better than any Rambo, Terminator, whatever show, where they always come back to life. Uh, he, every time they preach the word, they're persecuted. Every time they shared the gospel, they were persecuted. But what did they do? They went back to the Word of God. I want you to show, notice this. The Word of God is the power and joy in the ministry. The more you proclaim God's Word in, the life, in your life, the more you are opening up the Holy Spirit to empower your life. It's pretty amazing. The word of God was and is the cause of growth. It is the power in the church. And yet it's the thing that's being thrown out of most churches. It's, it's the sad thing. I love, um, I love all that they were doing and the fact that they kept going back to God's word and the importance of God's word. And in verse 25 of chapter 14, it says, And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. And from there they sailed to Antioch. And when they had uh, commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled, what did they do? After they had spoken the word, after they had proclaimed God's word, they went back and they glorified themselves. They glorified the Lord. Thank the Lord. They glorified... Uh, and they, they've been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they had arrived, they gathered the church together. They declared all that God had done with them and how he, God, had opened all the doors. Which is amazing. How many of you would consider all of those doors open after all the persecution that they just faced? True guidance comes through engagement. When we are engaged in church, we see the Holy Spirit moving in our lives. We understand what He wants. We understand where God, where, what God wants us to do. When we're engaged, when we're not engaged, when there's no engagement, there's no guidance. And when there's no uh, guidance, 
There's no difficulty. There's just kind of laziness. Right? There's just sitting around and we don't do anything. But when we're engaged in ministry, we're met with difficulty. But it's the Word of God that is our true power, that is our true joy, that rises above any of the difficulties. The fourth thing that we're drawn to is in in Acts chapter 15. Turn there. And that is cultural adaptations nullify God's message. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. It says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. Whoa. It's not the same gospel that they've been preaching. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both um, Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversations, uh, of the conversions of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. Here's the thing. The more we engage the culture with the culture the more lost the message of God becomes. Let me, re- let me say that again. The more we engage the culture, which God wants us to do, he wants us to go make disciples. Go is the actual action, and making is the command to make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that their identity is in Christ, to make disciples that are followers, that identify with Christ, that know Christ, right? But the more we engage that culture with the culture, the more lost that message of God's gospel becomes. Why don't we see more people getting saved in churches? Now, I've seen a lot of people say, oh, yeah, yeah, I like God, but I don't see a lot of people following God. There's a difference, right? You know what I mean, right? How many of you have seen Fairweather fans, right? When the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, all of a sudden, I was not persecuted in California anymore, right? I wore my Seahawks stuff everywhere. San Francisco, the day of Sherman's uh, interception and SWAT and that whole thing, I was wearing my... I was in San Francisco, and uh, I, I got a lot of dirty looks. I got a lot of bumps. But after they won the Super Bowl in my town, people were like, yeah, go Hawks. I get go Hawks all the time. Before that, I would say, I would hear laughs and boos. Now I'm hearing go Hawks. A lot of Fairweather fans. They jumped on the bandwagon. But then when they started to lose... Right? Then all the criticism came back. I see a lot of Christians like that. They claim to know Christ, but they don't have, they've never come to the realization or a relationship with Christ. They don't follow Christ. They're just a fan of him. They like him. Yeah, he's a good guy. Oh, anybody that would die for somebody, that's a great thing. Oh, God looks great. Oh, look at all that God's going to do for me. If God's going to do all that, then I'll follow him. 
But they become, as soon as things get hard, they bail. Cultural adaptations. What happened is, is the Jewish, some of the Jewish believers that were steeped in the, with the Pharisees, that were, they called them Judaizers that didn't want to stop following the law. They said, well, we have to be circumcised and do the letter of the law in order to be saved. It can't be just about Christ. It has to be the law and Christ. And so goes many religions today, including in our churches today. It's amazing how many churches are adopting cultural things to reach the culture rather than focusing on the gospel. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 10. In fact, God, Paul says, why have you even followed a completely different Gospel, and it's not another gospel. There are not two gospels. It's not even the gospel anymore. There is no good news. And so in Acts 15, verses 5 through 12, he stands up and he tells the, the Jewish council, the first church council, what the problem is. And what's amazing is Peter stands up and says, Yes, what Paul is preaching is the gospel. You know why that's amazing? Because in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, Peter is following the Judaizers and not sitting with the Gentiles anymore. He's separating himself. And Paul calls him out on it. It says, you are the, Peter, you're just as much the problem. Because I know you don't believe this, but this is what you're doing. I guess the last thing is that difficulty and discouragements can be God's work to spread the gospel. Difficulty and disagreements can be God's work to spread the gospel. It's amazing, but in, in, uh, in verses 36, look at verses 36 through 41 of Acts 15. It says, But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there rose a sharp disagreement. So this wasn't just a, oh, yeah, I don't agree with you. No, they, they didn't. They had a sharp, a strong, sharp, a cutting disagreement. So that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas, and they departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And they went through Syria, uh, um, Sicilia, and strengthened the churches. Galatians chapter two, verse eleven. Paul had an argument with Peter, but in the end, Peter preached the gospel. God providentially overruled the evil in the disagreement for the good of this church and the furtherance of the gospel. Think about it. Instead of one missionary journey, there is now two missionary journeys. Barnabas is going out, ministering, and Paul is going out. God providentially, in his sovereignty, used what was not good for God's benefit. Of the gospel. Psalm 76 10 says, Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. That's an interesting statement. 
The wrath of man shall praise you. Even in our flesh, when disagreements and problems come, God can use it for his glory. Stop dwelling in the past and get engaged in the ministry. Instead of one missionary team, there are now two missionary teams. God blesses in spite of failure. Guys, let me give you a, a, a huge insight. There will always be failure in the church because we're part of the church. Right? If you, don't, if you want to go to a church where there is no failure, don't go to that church. It'll be, it's not a church. There's always going to be failure in church. But it's amazing that God can use that for his glory. The question is, is will you let God use that? Will you stay engaged in ministry? Will you serve the Lord, not serve the church, not serve, will you serve the Lord? Will you be engaged? And as you're engaged, will you just expect that it's going to be difficult? Will you use God's word to pull you out and be filled with joy and the power of the Holy Spirit? As we close, I want you to think about two things. I didn't put them up here, but the, one of the models, one of the applications here in the book of Acts is this. This tells us that the success in the church is built upon the mind of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, it says, Let not nothing be done through selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in the lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each not look out for their own interests, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, right? Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taken Upon him the form of the bondservant. Do you realize as the book of Acts progresses, Peter was prominent and he gave way to Paul. Now who's better? There, it, it's not about who was better, right? Peter gave way. Now when you look at the book of Acts, who was leading Paul? Barnabas. But as we turn to as we go to Acts 14, we now see Paul is leading Barnabas. It's not, see, no, none of these guys are focusing on their own desires. They're focusing on the gospel, the mind of Christ. Verse 8, it says, And being found in the appearance of man, Christ humbled himself and be, became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. But God highly exalted him. Do we want a ministry? Do we want a church that is highly exalted by God? Or do we want a church that the community likes? There's a big difference. Think about that. The other thing is, is in the book of Acts, we see it tells us that the success in the church is built upon seeking the kingdom of God, not seeking our own kingdom. Guys, we're not trying to build a kingdom of First Baptist Church in Ferndale or Whatcom County. We're trying to see God's gospel building his church, the bride, to be presented to Christ when he returns. 
what kind of bride are we going to present Christ in Whatcom County? Are we seeking our own kingdom or are we seeking God's kingdom? That's pretty hard to, to consider. Would you consider these things about the church? How did the church grow? Engagement. How did it grow? Through difficulty. How did it grow? Through the power of God's word. How did it grow? By not letting the culture dictate the gospel. How did it grow? Even through disagreements. Because God is sovereign and nobody can derail what God has established through the gospel. The gospel is God's key to his kingdom. Will you help me make much of that through our church and through our community? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for our time this morning. And we just never have enough time to talk about all the wonderful things that are present in in your word. Thank you that it's alive and that it's active, that even now as I've missed things or, or confused things, your spirit is leading in the hearts of all of us. Lord, I pray that we would get a burden for being engaged in your ministry to, be, to focus on the good works that you have prepared for us from the day of our salvation, the day that we put our faith and trust in you because you saved us, you made us alive. You gave us the Holy Spirit to, to raise us up, to see our sin and realize we need a Savior. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here that has never had that encounter with you, that to say, I need a Savior for my sin, that today that they would see you, that the Holy Spirit would awaken them and say, and convict their heart and that they would cry out to you, that they would put their faith and trust and the fact that you were the perfect Lamb of God who died for their sins. You were alive. 100% God and 100% man who died on the cross for our sins to be that perfect sacrifice. And you rose again because you conquered death in your Godhead, that you are perfect. You conquered death, and because of that, you purchased our salvation. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be turned to you and that if someone here would say, no, I've never come to the Lord and I never responded to his call in my life. Yeah, I, I know who God is, but I've never responded to him, that they would respond to him now and realize that all we have is you. All we have is Christ. Lord, as a church, I pray that if there's one thing that we would do well, and that is that we would cling to you, cling to the cross Cling to the message of the cross. Cling to the power of the cross. That nothing changes lives in church and outside of church except through the power of the cross. May we not get caught up in a lot of things, but may we make much and bring glory to your name. May we lift you up. In Jesus' name we pray.